What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I'm here today chilling in the studio. I got my buddy Alex here from London. We're doing some writing, recording, whatnot. If you've seen me on tour in Europe, Alex is sax player. Why, why are you taking a video of me right now? Why is everybody putting me on blast? All the time, man. Everybody's putting everybody on blast. My buddy Alex is here. We're chilling. We're hanging out. Got some bangers in the studio. I'm not going to lie. It's 9 a.m. and we are going way too hard for 9 a.m. We're going hard. I'm going hard on this next record. There's a lot of a lot of dope stuff happening. Hey, whatever. I'm, I'm excited about that today. But you know what I'm really excited about is Nir Felder is on the podcast. Now, I had heard Nir's name a lot. I knew, ooh, he's one of the Strat Cats. You know, it's like you kind of know who the other Strat guys are. You just keep We keep an eye on each other. There's a brethren, a brotherhood involved there. But one day I was chilling in Los Angeles. I was hanging with... I can't believe I say this. My good friend, James Valentine, he's one of my guitar heroes. I watched him play since I was a kid. And I mean, he's not that much older than me, but I remember as a teenager, he seemed much older than me because I don't know, he was in his 20s. Anyways, huge fan of James. James and I were hanging out in Los Angeles. He's like, dude, Near Felder just hit me up. He said they're recording over at Henson Studios, some session. He invited us over. You want to go check it out? I was like, frick, yeah, Henson Studios, amazing. He's like, I don't know, like, what do you do like when you're a guest at a session? Like he and I were kind of like talking on the way, like what's a what's the etiquette? You know, every session runs a little bit differently. It was just like, I don't know, let's just let's just chill. He invited us to be there. So we're like all kind of like, I don't know, or we don't want to be in the way, we don't want to get in, in the way of the creative flow. Are we just gonna physically be in the way? But it ended up being very welcoming. <laughs> he and I were laughing about it and we're trying to just like figure out how to hang at a session where it's like, dude. How many sessions have you and I both been a part of? It's like, it's fine. They invited us. Like, they they would know that we know how to hang at a session. It was an amazing sounding session. I don't know if it was secretive or not, so we're not going to, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but Nier sounded insane. And I remember just sitting there thinking, how is he getting that tone out of a Strat? That's like the opposite tone that I get from a Strat. Same instrument. Going, He's going right into a deluxe reverb. It sounded incredible. And I asked James, what's the secrets of Nier's tone? And he, he gave me this and this and this. And Nier was talking about the stuff while we're at the session. I was like, nah, dude, that's, that's not it. I've done that. And then afterwards, we get in the car and James is like, he didn't tell you. He uses 13s. That's the secret. I was like, oh, come on, man. Anyways, Nier and I get into it on the podcast here about his tone because his tone is incredible. If you take a look at my, listen to my Strat tone, listen to Nier's Strat tone. They're so far from each other, but it's the same instrument and it's so dope that the Strat has that kind of versatility. And I am super grateful of James for introducing us and for Nier coming on the podcast because he's such an incredible guitar player. So here we are, Nier Felder. Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so, with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount, and DistroKid takes 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. 
or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing. It works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you want to use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out, DistroKid. All right, let's hit this episode. Dude, Nir, I'm so stoked to have you on the podcast, man. Dude, thank you for having me, man. It's kind of you. Of course. So I'm, we're just diving right in because for the listeners, we met a few weeks ago. I don't know. Actually, I, time has escaped me. We met a little while back in LA. James Valentine and I were hanging out we were doing a little guitar hang sesh, doing a little writing at his place. He's like, hey, Nier's over at uh, Henson Studios tonight. He just texted and asked if we wanted to come. I was like, what does that mean? And James and I are like being all awkward. We're like, what, like, what do you do when you go like visit your friend's sessions? We were kind of like, all right, what do you think the etiquette's going to be? Do you think we just kind of hang? He's like, man, I don't know how to do this. I, I don't know how to just come hang at a session when I'm not there. It's awkward. But Nier invited us. It's not his session, it's somebody else's, but he invited us, so it's gonna be fine. And Henson is dope, so like, let's just go. It's like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we, you know, we know how to interact in normal social situations, so, you know, whatever. You invited us. So we went and hung out. I was watching you record, listening back to the playback from the stuff that you guys were doing, which was sick. It sounded so good. I literally, immediately, I and I'm not necessarily, oh, what are you using for gear, bro, guy, but your tone was so disgustingly good and it is so like the complete opposite of my strat tone but you're using a strat it's clean strat tone but if somebody said oh give me some clean strat tone you would interpret it as one thing and i would be on the other side of the world with a clean strat tone and we would both be right and it would be compelling in both worlds and we both have our own lane and our own thing and that's what's so beautiful about music that's what's so beautiful about guitar and all of that so i am excited to have you here dude i'm so stoked to be here and um i love that you're leading with this question because like i want to ask you all the same stuff about how you get your tone because it's 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 awesome it's magical and you know i want to (laughs) know (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, it's my get my podcast, so I get to ask first, yeah. <laughs> and then you well, ask me afterwards, <laughs> because I am dying to know. And and then because you gave me some answers, and then afterwards, James kind of leaned over in my ear and he told me a little secret. He's like, "Yeah, he's not telling you everything," and I'm gonna see if you tell me everything. This oh, time. Dude, I, I, I thought I was. Um. <laughs> he he gave me one little secret that I'm gonna see <laughs> if you if you say it. I will say that was it. And if you don't say it, I'm going to just tell people what James told me is part of your secret. And it's not a secret, but it it might just be one of those things that's hiding in plain sight. Uh Okay. You were playing a Stratocaster direct into a deluxe reverb. And I was like, how do you just like sound like uh, this full bodied, thick, warm tone reminiscent of 
like a, a huge jazz box or like the maybe even kind of the Matheny thing, but like a tighter, cleaner low end or something. And you're like, oh, it's just like the mic and the mic placement. I was like, no way. It's not just the mic. Play. Like there's, there's stuff going on. I've placed mics on a deluxe reverb and I don't sound like that. Tell me how you get your tone. I, I have to know. <laughs> well, it's a long story, uh, but I guess we got time, right? We're here um, for it. This is a guitar podcast. People love go. the gear talk. So let's, let's go. I'm not so- always gear talk. Here we are. Let's go. Let's, Let's dive go into in. it, man. Um, I'm not. I'm, the funny thing is, I'm not a gear guy either. But like, sometimes you have a sound that you're chasing, and you just you want to know how to how to if there's any way to get it that you didn't think of. You know, if you're looking for something, it's not evident right away. So that's sure. why I have the same exact questions for you. Yeah. But it kind of started out um, for me with Stevie Ray Vaughan. As a kid, I loved Stevie Ray Vaughan. He'll always be my favorite guitar player. Yeah. And, um, you know, as a kid, I didn't have much of a budget to buy gear or, or even a guitar, right? So I ended up, you know, in, in order to emulate my hero, I landed on getting a Tex-Mex Fender Strat, which was um, what became the Jimmy Vaughn model. Yep. And I listened to your podcast with Jimmy Vaughn, and I love it. And, and we can talk about that later. But, uh, but Stevie was my hero. So I ended up with this Tex-Mex model and uh the first thing i did was put 13 gauge strings on it right uh so i think that right there is a big part of the sound that was what valentine told me was the secret you didn't tell me you had 13s when i was going through your stuff it's like okay there we go 13s 13s with an unwound g and so like it naturally sounds bigger and darker and so for me getting, getting a brighter sound can be challenging but that's the bass layer. And also, funny thing about this guitar that um, a tech I knew turned me on to, I was not aware of it at all. But he had a theory about why this Tex-Mex model, I, I guess it's a 95, before it became the Jimmy Vaughn strap, okay. why it sounds the way it does. And his theory was that um, when they built these things, they didn't know what kind of pickup configuration they were going to land on. So instead of like having three separate pickup cavities wired like they normally would for whatever is going to be in there. They just kind of clean the space under the pick guard out. And it, in his words, it's called a bucket. So there's a bucket. Yeah. I heard, I've heard bathtub. it as a bathtub. Dude, that's the a right bathtub route. Yes. Yeah. Not a bucket. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So something about that, he, he thought kind of created a, a warmer sort of tone. I don't know if that's true, but something about okay. the space yeah. in there. I don't know. I don't know. This is, this is what he told me. And I said, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So that's the first <laughs> part of it. And then, uh, another part of it is like the way, it, the way I've been using. So basically, you know, I was into, to backtrack a little bit. I was into Stevie Ray and then I started to kind of trying to figure out what was going on with jazz. I was into, I was into Miles Davis and Coltrane and I wanted to like figure out how I could play with people that played that kind of music and still sound good so like of course as you do you're like okay i better get an arch top and the problem was i i couldn't find one that i could afford or like or, or one that i liked right I, I would try these expensive arch tops be like wow this is a lot of money and i don't really like this you know i guess i'm supposed to get it but i don't know i just yeah. couldn't i couldn't make it happen you know for for multiple you know i was young didn't have any money and also i just 
couldn't get myself to do it. So I, I, I'm still playing the same Tex-Mex Strat that I got when I was 13 years old. I know, wow. it's gnarly, right? <laughs> My guitar from when I was 13 is right back there. It's a Mexican Dude, Strat. Ne- never give it up. I love it. Um, I know. Well, it's, it's cool to just, you know, this is just such an old friend, you know? And it's been, yeah. it's been beat up. It's been all over the world. And um, I don't know. So the pickups in it are what? They're the ones that I bought. I didn't change a single thing on this guitar other than the strings. Are they the Texas special pickups? Is that what they are? I, I guess so. You'd have to look at whatever the specs were in 1995. I got it in 96. Okay. But um, I'm not sure if they're anything special sure. or anything that Fender continued to make. Or I'm not sure, but maybe, yeah. So that's a stock tech, Tex-Mex 95 with 13s on it. Yep. Changed the tuners at one point, got to refret it at one point just because I had to. Not because, sure. you know, not because I was going for any different kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Just out of necessity. Yeah. Okay, then then what are we running into? We got pedals, we got a deluxe. So so what happened was, you know, I was trying to acclimate this guitar that I was like, you know, I I, I kind of felt like, well, I'm stuck with this thing because I love it. Yep. And I'm just going to figure out how to make it work. And, you know, it evolved over the years. But at a certain point, um, you know, without going into too much detail, like I wanted to get a little bit of like the, the breakup that a, a saxophone player might get or something like that, um, without it being distorted. Right. Cause you know, sure. I wasn't going for distortion guitar, but so I, I kind of landed on a thing where like my volume knobs, not usually at 10, it's usually like somewhere between four to eight. Sometimes it's at 10, but, sure. um, you know, the, the boosts that I'm running into, which are Tube Screamer and, and one of the newer Klon KTRs, um, if I had it at 10, it would be more distorted. But if it's yeah. like, if the volume knob's kind of at 7, you don't get the full effect of the boost distortion and you also get a little treble bleed. Yeah. So that's taking some high end out without like, you know, people think like right away, like, oh, do you roll the tone back? Do you have the treble off on your amp? No, because that doesn't lead to like a dark sound that I like that kind of leads to a dark sound that sounds unbalanced, you know? Yes, of course. Exactly. Okay. So you're, it's the treble bleed in your volume that really is changing the tone. Yeah. It's from the volume now, but even at 10, it still hopefully sounds somewhat warm and like, you know, the strings, not only are they bigger strings, they're also kind of broken in. I kind of like hold off on changing them probably a little too long just because they're brighter when they're new, you know? So I'm not changing them every day. And then, and then comes the stuff I told you back in the studio is like, I've kind of figured out which mics work pair well with it, right? Like I like ribbon mics. Yeah. I like two condenser mics. I like to place them close. So you get a little proximity effect. I like the amp on the floor. I like, um, you know, kind of off center from the speaker, all things that kind of, to me, warm it up when you're recording yeah. without taking the life out of it. So every step of the way you are saying, how can I make this a little warmer? How can I make this a little fuller? It, yeah, in a way, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing it on the fly. It's, it's kind of more like, I like sure. that, I don't like that. But that's kind of what it adds up to, you know? It's usually two mics and, and I blend them and uh, <laughs> I'm just guessing. Yeah. I, I'm just finding cool. stuff that, that sounds good to my ear for my setup for the music I'm playing. But if I'm playing a different style of music and I want a brighter tone, maybe I'll use a different amp. Maybe I'll use a brighter amp. I'll EQ it differently. I'll put different mics in a different place. You know, I'll have my volume knob up. Um, I'll kind of change some of the settings on the pedals. You know, I want to have, a, for me, it's harder to have a good, bright sound 
you know? Yeah. Because it's not the sure. things that people say. It's not just like turning the trouble up on your amp. It's, it's deeper than that. That's what I want to talk to you about. We'll get there. Sweet. <laughs> we'll get there. For it. But the other thing that's interesting is I noticed your knobs were not necessary. The knobs on the amp weren't like, oh, treble down, bass up. No. It was pretty balanced. It was pretty, if I remember right, it was something like volume three, bass five, treble five, somewhere in there, just kind of middle of the road. Yeah, they're kind of just right in the middle. Uh, the volume is probably like, you know, between four and five, because that's, you know, with the boost pedals I have, that's when the deluxe stops getting louder and just gets dirtier. So it's just sure. right on the edge of the breakup. That's where, that's the sweet spot for me on this amp. And it yeah. took me a long time to figure out how to use like, a twin, for example, you know, just to be like, well, one of these, because I, I, I realized that like the EQ knobs don't do the same thing. You know, it took me a long time to figure out how to EQ a twin. And then I, I figured out that for me, like I have to use kind of the mid knob as the low end. I have to have the bass pretty low and have the mid knob maybe at like seven because that's that's my low end on that kind of amp. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's. I, it was it was weird because I, I I did what I thought would work for a long time and really struggled until I was like, oh, maybe it's maybe it doesn't do the same thing on all amps. Yeah, totally. And the other thing that I've started to notice more and more, I'm just dope. I, it's such guitar nerdery, and it's the classic. Like you visit, you do a a guest master class at a at a college and somebody starts asking you about picks and it's like, Oh yeah, what picks you use? But <laughs> I, I now I'm like not mad when people ask that because I've started to mess around with different picks. And when the fearless flyers were just on tour, I was playing my guitar with the pick I normally use the whole time, of course, but one sound check, I like my picks were in my pants that were downstairs in the green room or something. So I grabbed one of Mark Letieri's picks and I started playing. I was like, I'm st- I sound more like Mark right now. Yeah. This is weird. And he has a little bit of a thicker, it's an overall thicker pick. And of course, his attack angle is way different. So I was playing my same attack angle. I was like, oh, I sound a little more like Mark. I, I wonder if I twist my pick to play more his pick angle, if I'll sound even more like him. And I'll be darned. I sounded way more like Mark and he sounded more like me when he used my pick and like did the reverse angle pick thing like I have. It's like, oh yeah. When they say tone is in the hands, they're actually like, there is a lot of tone in the hands. So I I have the stupid college kid question of, okay, let's, let's, let's finish the, the concept here. What are you using for picks? And are, is your pick angle more the traditional leading edge down or up? Dude, it's funny because it's such a racket because we're spending so much money on amps and vintage guitars. <laughs> and like, then you realize, like, wow, like, maybe my pick and my strings are kind of everything. <laughs> but yeah, man, I'm using a Jazz 3, one of these Jim yep. Dunlop Jazz 3s, kind of worn down. Um, so it's a little darker than the, than the new ones. You know, yeah. they're brighter when I first get them until I wear them down, but I can't not use these because I like the way they sound. Dude, I know. And well, of course, there's the way that a pick feels and, and then you're just more comfortable. But there is something about finding the right pick for your sound that I just more and more have realized 
It's totally a thing, and you're you're exactly right. It's this huge racket of spending thousands on all this other gear. It's like, let's dial in the pit. Like, let's spend two dollars a few times first <laughs> before we spend a couple thousand dollars. Yes. a few times. Yeah, man, I, I felt like I kind of felt like a sucker. But um, a few years ago, I was on the road with an artist where there was a lot of acoustic guitar stuff, and um, you know, I was on some sort of internet thing and someone was talking about some fancy capo i was like i can't believe i'm gonna do this but i spent like <laughs> 20 bucks on a capo wait hold up yep 120 bucks on a capo it changed my life no way dude you will not believe how much better your guitar sounds with a really great capo <laughs> no way <laughs> i swear man when, it was revelatory when i put this capo on Way more in tune. And I don't even remember the name, but it's handcrafted in Texas somewhere and they want to know what exact guitar you're playing so they can, you know, make sure it's perfect for the kind of neck that you have. Really? And oh my God, this is good. The guitar just resonates with it in a way that it never did with, I literally, try, literally tried every cable. Dude, that is insane. I have never, this is, I've never heard this in my life before. First mm -hmm. off, spending more than $20 on a capo. Mm -hmm. Second off, having a compelling experience with a capo. Oh, it was, <laughs> it was revelatory. You know, it makes you think you right. Cause like, you know, I do some teaching too. And like, it, it's funny cause we're, we're so focused on notes and, and scales and what are the, how do I play the right notes? Um, you know, forget even like play the right notes at the right time. How do I play the right notes? That's the focus of everything we really think about in music education. But when it comes down to it, it's like, it's so deep. Every little thing from your count off to, you know, really anything you can think of affects the musical experience, you know, and shapes it in a way. And when we get so focused on, you know, notes or whatever, or in this case, when we're talking about gear, guitars and amps and pedals and stuff, uh, we forget all the other stuff that can have just as much, if not a greater effect on the music. Totally. All right, I am satisfied in my questions about your tone, and I'm going to put 13s on one of my strats. And actually, I think my old, my strat from when I was a kid has Texas special pickups. It's the Stevie pickups. Sick. So I'm going to try to put 13s on there. I'm going to use a Jazz 3, and if I don't sound like you, I'm going to be totally bummed and realize that it's completely my fault. And imagine that. Nier has a compelling tone that comes from himself and all of his years of study that I can't replicate in a moment. Well, dude, you <laughs> might actually nail it. <laughs> Let's find out. All right. I will now let you ask me my strat the strat questions that you have for me. Because now we're in strat territory. I love this. I love a strat episode. Let's go, man. Like, I want to know how to get... You have such a great you know, beautiful tone that still cuts through in the way like you want from a strap often. Right. Yeah. And I want to know like what there, there's gotta be some sort of secrets to it because like usually when people have a bright strap sound, it can be strident. It can be harsh. It can be kind of, you know, the stuff that you don't want, but yours yeah. is very much not like that. It's, it's on the bright end of it. Like you said, it's like the kind of, but it's, it's killing. And I want to know if, if, what you can tell us about it. So my chain typically, so I have my own signature Stratocaster with Fender, which was amazing to develop and make in that. And it, I chose not to try to make a replica of the Strat that I had played for years. It was just, how can I make a better version of that? So I have 
really clean pickups. So they're kind of based on the Seymour Duncan Antiquity Surf Set, but these ones are Alnico 4 magnets. I tried the Alnico 3, 4, 5s. Alnico 4, Alnico 4 is not a really popular one, but in this case, it just felt like it, it was a little le- uh, more efficiently to get my tone or whatever, like more effortless to get my tone. So I, li- I like really clean pickups and ones that have inherently almost a sense of squishy compression to them on their own. And I use tens for strings. I use uh, Ernie Ball paradigms, the slinky paradigms. I mean, sometimes I'll just use regular slinkies, whatever. But as far as the Strat itself, it's a pretty standard rosewood neck, little warmer attack, a little rounder attack than the maple neck. The maple neck has more of a to it. Mm. I don't know. It's uh, it, it gets really, really nerdy in there. That's interesting, right? Like so much of what you said is really fascinating, right? Because like maple is brighter, but it's not necessarily the brighter that you want. In certain cases, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. To my ears. Yeah. Just the, the thing about like pickups having uh, like cleanliness and, and having some distortion to them, it's like, you know, I plugged in a silver tone the other day. He's straight into the amp, super distorted, straight into a clean amp. Like the, the pickups yeah. themselves distort in a great way. But it was like, wow, this is just a guitar straight into a clean amp and it's yeah. distorted as hell. You know, it's just the pickups. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. So I was originally using the Seymour Duncan Antiquity Surfs, incredible clean tone. But when I would, whenever I'd hit the gas, it just had a little extra fuzziness to the top of it that was cool for certain settings, but it didn't feel as universal guitar tone for a lot of the pop stuff. I could, I could see engineers on these pop sessions kind of cutting some of those frequencies out. And I heard them and it was like, ah, yeah, but it's just kind of inherently in the pickups. So I revoiced those pickups and worked with the Alnico 4s with Seymour Duncan to develop these. They're, we call it the Seymour Duncan Clean Machine Pickups. It's the ones that I developed with them in my Strat. And then I always go through a compressor pedal. I'm an always-on compressor guy. Oh. And there are different types of compressors, different types of circuits. The ones that I like have actually, the way that they've been described to me sometimes is actually a little bit less of just a straight up compressing the signal. But a lot of times it's that mixed with upward limiting. So it's, it's, it does compress the guitar tone or it, it compresses the volume and the signal, but it almost like beefs it up a little bit where a lot of compressors will, you'll play through them and it compresses and it kind of thins your tone out. These ones, they kind of beef it up as they're going. And what are they? The Wampler Ego Compressor is one. And I've been working on modding a few of them. I've, I've gone through a couple iterations of modding a compressor with them to like really just nail my tone out of the gate. And it's been, it's been really fun. And the other thing with that is a blend knob is nice because certain amps will have more or less compression inherently within them or the speakers themselves. So if, if an amp has a little compression in it when I'm playing, I'll dial back the blend a little bit on my compressor pedal. Then going into the amp, I try to play really clean amps. So there's a few different scenarios. Normally when I'm recording, I just use uh, an amp simulator. So I actually, again, another thing that I developed with Neural DSP, the archetype Corey Wong plugin. We we modeled a few amps and I really dialed it in. I, I mean, I put them through the ringer. 
their engineers were like, Corey, give it, can't, aren't we done yet? I was like, no, 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 no. Like when you do this and when you use overdrive pedals, it needs to be able to do this. And they're like, okay, okay. Yeah, but have we tried it on bass yet? You know, so I'm like, I, was, I put them through the ringer. But they're glad that I did and I'm glad that I did because it ended up being a great thing. So the the amp sim on that is kind of, it's a blend of a dumble and a super reverb. That's the main one that I use. Mm. And then, and it's just super clean. It's really clean, really in your face. All the knobs pretty much at five, except for the volumes at like three or something. But when I plug into a deluxe, a deluxe is normally a little bit too much mid-range for me. So if you were trying to get my guitar tone, first off, your strings wouldn't wouldn't be spanky enough. Like a lot of my attack mm -hmm. has to do with the strings just going like against the fretboard, you know? Like you'd have to really hit your guitar to make the 13s do that. But with a deluxe reverb, there's no mid knob. So that mid, I normally try to dial back. So that's why I love a twin or a super. A twin or a super, I can dial the mids back a little bit and the bass and treble up a little bit more. So I'm normally bass five, mids four, treble five or four. I love supers too. Supers are, are another amp that I vibe with right away. They didn't take me that kind of minute like the twins did. Yeah. For some for some reason, I find that the supers and, and the deluxes kind of speak like my language a little more. Yeah. But it's interesting, like, you know, on a if I ever have to play one of those hot rod deluxes, those I cut the mid almost all the way. Like the mids on Really? Yeah. Just the EQ does different things on different amps. So yeah. I love how you're talking about like, you know, things like compression and distortion in the context of like speakers and pickups. Because I think a lot of times people rely on the pedal to give them all of that without realizing that like different amps, different pickups, different everything gives gives you some of that already. Like different amps compress, different recording mediums compress, different pickups compress. Absolutely. And and that's also why you see a lot of cats using different amps too, where it's like, man, I love the sound of a clean guitar through a JC120. That sucker is powerful and it's just, it's right in your face, that solid state, immediate attack, transient thing. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I hit the gas, there's something in the top end that I don't love about the JC120. So it's like, okay, if I was just to use clean tone, JC120 would definitely be in my top two. But if it's an overall amp, I might be looking for something else. You know, so then it's trying to find tube amps you know, and then to go even deeper, it's ones where how fast is the transient attack? And that's something with 10 inch speakers on a super reverb, the transient hits faster than a 12 inch speaker. And certain amps are just a little more squishy. The dumbles, the transients are pretty much as fast as a solid state. They're really fast amps, but they saturate in a smoother way in the top end. And uh, they also cost a hundred times more than all the others. But yeah, <laughs> I love how we we went. We said like we're not into this stuff, but we went so deep into <laughs> territory that Jason left. He was just like I'm out. The, for those that are listening, Jason, the other producer on this, Jason from Premier, Premier Guitar, literally walked away from his office as soon as I started talking about transient attack and speakers. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. We both start like, yeah, I'm not normally like talking about gear guy, but 
Well, let's go in a little bit. He's he's bidding <laughs> on a Dumbo on, on eBay right now. Well, and then there's different types of tubes and different people get nuts about are you are you wild about tubes? I'm I dude, I, I want to be hip enough to be to be wild about it. But no, like the the other thing is like all this kind of, you know, the more time you spend on this stuff, it, it kind of takes away from your time actually playing the instrument. So oh, like, there we go. I'm way into it, but like at, at, at a certain point, I don't have time to like search for tubes and, and do all. I wish I did because I think it would help, but I've been kind of just busy like trying to learn how to play this thing. This is one of those things that like if we're, if we're not neurotic about one part of our tone ever, is it like, it, it's the same thing with playing, you know, like we're constantly neurotic about, oh, I need to work on this or, oh, I want to practice this. At least- some of us, I know that you are, and I know that I am myself, just constantly working and striving to be better. There's got to be a way that I can be better, and there's got to be something I can do to get better. I think tone is somewhat of that endless pursuit, but also oftentimes like the hero's journey of ending back at the strat from when you were 13, just into whatever deluxe reverb. Uh, <laughs> man, I think, you know, we've been doing this long enough that like, you know, if we can make our playing or our tone 1% better. You know, it's such a victory. Like I learned one new thing. It's amazing. Like you're so stoked because we've been doing it long enough that like those little victories are everything. They just keep you, you're like, man, I'm really still right on the right path. It's awesome. Absolutely. Okay. I want to ask you a little bit more about improvisation, creativity, and harnessing it in the moment. A lot of people talk about you know, oh, how do you find inspiration for writing every day? Or it's like, oh, sometimes you just show up to work and you just have to mm-hmm. find it, or you know, or you have to find some way to harness it. And then there's the other side, which is how do you find something compelling to say improvising solos over your own music, over other people's music? And then when you're on tour, you're playing the same tunes night after night. Do I play same concepts every night? Do I kind of build an arc and kind of craft a solo that I loosely follow the script of night after night? Or do I try to find something completely new night after night? These are all different approaches. And you are such a master improviser. I've seen you in so many different settings where I'm just curious about how you approach your creativity in improvisation and how you keep that spark going for you so the listener feels that excitement every time they listen to you play. Oh man, what a great question. Um, I think that list that you made is, pr- is pretty spot on and I'm a definite number three. So like mm. I kind of have to start over because if I do make any attempt to, you know, I was like, oh wow, that solo last night really worked. Let me try to go for the same arc. I always fall flat on my face. Mm. I cannot repeat it. And, you know, one thing I've learned from, you know, doing both jazz tours and pop tours and kind of everything in between is like something I realized right away. Some of these pop musicians that I would play with are kind of more in the moment, more, more what you think of as jazz. And some of the jazz players I would tour with sometimes because they were really reactive to like the energy in the room and okay, you know, we're playing the same set. We're playing the same songs. There's no solos, but you know, the room feels different, the energy is different, the weather's different, or in a different city. I'm just going to play like 1% louder or 1% softer. I do like a slightly different feel here. And it was like they were really feeling it in the moment, you know? And some people are still trying to play their quote-unquote improvised solo from last week. Yeah. 
And that kind of doesn't land with any kind of emotional mm. connection to the city you're in, the people you're with, all that kind of stuff. Um, and same for, for me. Like if, if I, if I try to do the same thing, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. Like it's just not going to work. Uh, so I've kind of, I just try to go for it every time. And sometimes I fail miserably, but that's the risk, right? Absolutely. And that's where also like you just get those magical moments that you think about 10 years later, like, yo, yes. Do you remember that one night at the Vanguard? And somebody's like, yes. And you've played the Vanguard a hundred times or something. And the cast is like, yes, I know exactly what moment you're talking about. You know? That's worth it, right? Exactly. It's worth it to like, yeah. So I, I try for it. I don't always succeed. I don't even always succeed in trying. You know, sometimes mm. it's just, like you said, it's it's so much safer to to go with something that you know. But I think as I as I get more comfortable just with trying and failing, like it's just better. You know, even if you don't feel like you played well, I think people walk away with a a more emotional connection to what you played than they would if you were trying to play some stuff that you know works. Yeah. And like, like I said, like it could, you know, you could be a pop musician that plays the same solo every night, like note for note. But if you have that in the moment thing where you, you just play it like a little bit differently, depending on like the energy of the people you're with or whatever, I think that's, that's improvisation. You know, it's that, you know, that changing to fit the moment that you're in being present with it. Yeah. That counts. There is a standard, or maybe not standard, there's a stereotypical trope of musicians that are hyper-proficient. Somebody, like, you are objectively incredibly proficient at the guitar and incredibly technically proficient, and, like, you you have a, de- a deep sense of harmony, of, of fluidity, lines, all of the time, all of it. A lot of times... The, the stereotypical trope is kind of can't get out of that. But you seem to be able to cross over into being able to play the pop realm, into being able to play the rock realm. So many different genres and, and areas that require different things out of the guitar player or a musician in general. And I'm wondering for, for you how you approach playing pop gigs as a guitar player versus a lot of the other stuff that you do that does require a lot more? Absolutely, man. Another awesome question. Um, I'll do my best to answer it. But I think a lot of it comes down to like real respect for the music and for the art form. Mm. Um, you know, there's, again, stereotypical trope of like someone who's too proficient yeah. trying to play music that's they think is simple and just like, it sucks. Yeah, And the, re- the reverse is someone that is not proficient enough trying to play music that's maybe, you know, out of their depth harmonically or rhythmically or something. Like it's the same thing, right? Like if, if someone who's very proficient doesn't have the respect for the music they're playing with, isn't paying attention to the details, the nuances, the, you know, stylistic considerations, it's going to suck. Yeah, of course. So, and I think that's all too common, you know, people come in thinking that because they can, you know, shred or rip or do whatever on giant steps or whatever. Of course, they can play anything else. And that's kind of how we're taught. Like, people are like, yeah, I want to learn jazz because I want to learn the skill set. And then you can do everything. No, it's not true. You know, if you want to learn how to play a style, you have to treat it with the same 
respect that you would if you were trying to learn jazz. So, you know, you transcribe the recordings, you learn stuff from records. So it could be a John Coltrane solo, or you could just be transcribing a rhythm part from an ACDC record. Um, but like, you have to play it right, you know? It's like, you can't just play the right notes. That's only like a very, very small part of the picture. Cat's preaching out here. <laughs> Gotta have respect for the craft. And the craft goes beyond... And it's not above or below. Every genre is its own lane. They're all different things and they're different crafts, like you're saying. And and having respect for those crafts and those different lanes is huge. I love that. Man, the other thing, the other part of it that can be helpful if you do want to play a bunch of styles, you know, beyond just the respect and the attention to detail and the fact that you have to, you know, learning repertoire will help you. All the things that you do when you learn jazz for example you have to do the same thing for rock and roll or whatever style you're playing but um you know i know that you've you've been torn recently with with my friend victor wooden right yeah and vic's got that awesome book the music lesson Ooh. um just yeah it's awesome um but i think the premise of it for those who haven't read it is right on which is basically like you know the focus on notes is is kind of like all-consuming uh to the detriment of like every other aspect of music so if you're really tuned into things like dynamics or texture, you realize that like, you know, where a, a not a great musician might have like four dynamics, like kind of loud, loud, too loud, way too loud. <laughs> you know, a master would have like a thousand yeah. gradations. So it's like, oh, I need to be 1% louder or 4% softer. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, they're really tuned into those things that go beyond the notes. So like, yeah, you know, rock and roll and jazz are harmonically different, rhythmically different, but also like maybe the dynamics are different. Maybe the accents are different. And if you have like an ability to play a thousand different kinds of accents as opposed to two, you know, you might be more adept at like realizing what needs to change when you're playing in a different kind of band. I love that. Those, those things, it's, it's incredible how often those things get skipped in music school. Oh God. Yeah. They're not taught at all. Yeah. You got to really have, you know, it would be somewhat of an anomaly if it was really driven home, but there's so much focus on other things. And I mean, I didn't have anything like that in my juries at school, you know, like, Oh yeah. Show, play me this comp, this pattern, give me a three dynamic. Then the next four bars, a four, a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, you know, like show me that. You know, do you have dynamic range? Those things, we don't have the same attention in, in music schools where, but that's so much of where the emotion comes from in playing and just the ability to manipulate sound in general. There's, you know, all right, here's here's another part of the jury. Play eight bars right on the beat. Play eight bars just behind, just ahead. You know, can somebody do that? I, you know, I, I didn't have, I didn't have time field training in college. You know, it wasn't until I got in the clubs when that started to happen. Exactly. You learned it on the gigs. And sometimes we all learned it the hard way where it was like, wow, I'm not quite making it yeah. feel wise. Or I'm, I'm not like, I'm not balanced in the mix for some reason. You know, you don't learn EQ. You don't learn, you don't learn those things in school. So I, I think just like someone like Vic, you know, opening up students' minds to that stuff. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, like maybe this is the more important thing here. Like maybe learning how to play at all these different dynamic levels, maybe this is the thing that's going to actually make me sound good. 
and feel good and make it fun to play. Absolutely. Speaking of music colleges, I heard you are an associate professor at Berkeley. <laughs> what's, what's that all about? What's the associate professor position like? And what do you do there? Dude, I've been going up to Berkeley for a year and some change now. I'm also at the new school. The vibe is that kids these days can play. They certainly can, man. Play, play, play. So some of these students are just incredibly badass. Some of their, uh, some of them are out there playing gigs left and right as well, doing tours. Um, so it's really fun to get to work with them. And um, basically, like, yeah, we just talk about this kind of stuff. We're not like nerding out on scales or theory. Like, I really try to keep that to a minimum. And we just kind of play all day because uh, that seems to help them more and be more fun. And like, you know, and then we'll stop and we'll be like, hey, like, what do you, how do you feel about your volume there? How do you feel about your comping? You know, the, the, the more professional cats that I have, the cats that are already touring, they're not necessarily better soloists than the other cats, but they know how to make other people sound good. Mm. You know, their comping is better, like all that kind of stuff. That's what makes them, um, makes people want to work with them. So I don't know, we focus on just like making it feel good and making it fun and like, we talk about things like emotion and playing emotionally and like, how do you, it's, you know, music schools teach the notes because it's much easier to teach. It's much easier to talk about. We sure. have like literal scales for it. Whereas like, is there a, I guess there's like a decibel scale, but like, <laughs> you know, it's hard to apply in real time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, are, is there an emotional scale? I don't know. But like when you start thinking about, thinking about it, you realize that like, yeah, we do have some kind of, you know, we can practice these things, we can work on them, um, but it kind of has to be done, like, in it, right? It's hard to just do it alone in your room. It's much more, you know, productive to do it, like, with someone, the way you play music together, you know, in a group, and, like, can we connect, and can we make something together, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's great. And there are so many good players out there. Woof. Oh, my gosh, Woof. what a time to be alive, man. It's so fun to see. I literally called Oz Noy on the ride home yesterday and I was like, man, these guys are good. <laughs> it's scary. It's scary. They're so good. They're so good. Um, so it's fun to just get to hang with them and like, you know, show them whatever I can. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, man, I, this guy came for a lesson the other day and I just had to tell him I had nothing to teach you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that's fun. That's not true. They, yeah, I think they get a lot from like, you know, hanging out with people that have a little more experience at least totally and the other thing is i mean a lot of people have the have the mindset where like oh my gosh there are so many people that are so good on the internet and all these kids that are gonna blow us all out of the water we're nothing now we're gonna we're, we're all losing our <laughs> jobs they took our jobs you know <laughs> it's gonna be that sort of thing but it's like you know what we're making art here, man. We've each got our lane. Yep. There is room for everyone, every person. You know, if you have something yep. compelling to say, like listen to the way that you and I, if somebody were like, oh yeah, clean strat player. You and I are, like I said earlier, we're so different in the way that we approach music, the way that we approach tone and the way that we do our thing, but we've each got something uniquely compelling and equally purposeful in the art world. You know, and it's like, it's so cool that that exists. And it does, just because there's incredible musicians out there doesn't mean that they're going to take anything away from you. Like, do you have something fun and unique to say? Come on, man, say it. Absolutely, man. And like, 
you know, just like when we talked about dynamics, there's like, a, you know, a thousand different, you know, a good musician has a thousand or 10,000 or a hundred thousand. There are a hundred thousand ways to play clean strap. And like, yeah. you learn about more different ways every day from some genius kid in Australia or whatever, just playing <laughs> the holy hell out of the guitar. Yeah. And um, in a new way, you know, so it's so inspiring and awesome to see. With all these new players coming up with the, advent of all the different things happening and just genres melding and shifting and moving along. Where do you see, I'm curious because you've played in other pop situations as well. Where do you see the role of guitar in pop music moving forward? I don't know if I have any like specific predictions, but like guitar serves like a lot of functions, right? It can be like melodic, lyrical, it can deliver excitement. It can also be really percussive it can kind of do so many things. So like, you know, every time I see someone approaching it in a new way, there's like a moment where like, Oh, I didn't know guitar could do that. You know, like when you hear like Tim Henson play and it's like, it's got this kind of thing that's exciting, but also it's more percussive than it has been before. And it kind of like melds different things than the, that the guitar can do together in a new way. Yeah. And that's just awesome. It, it's, it's really a kind of a confounding instrument. Cause I don't know if there's, as many other instruments that have been redefined so many times by so many different players. That's kind of what I love about it. Like there's no, there's no roadmap to it the way there, there is to like, say, like if you play classical piano, there's like a correct established way and there's different branches of that and different teachers that have their different followings. But guitar, it's like, no one knows what the hell they're doing. It's like, we have no clue how to play it. It's, there's no roadmap. Yeah, Absolutely. I think what's interesting about the guitar, I was trying to think of other other instruments. I mean, obviously the keyboard itself has had so many different iterations and and ways that it's developed. But I think you're right, man. The guitar also, you know, you and I are in Strat World over here, but I'm looking behind you and you can see behind me. Man, we got acoustic guitars, we got baritone guitars, bass guitars. There's so many different facets of the guitar itself that are so great to explore. And there, there's a lot of depth to the instrument. And I like the way, actually, the the way that you describe the future of guitar and pop music, just by first establishing the musical contexts and roles that it can play, which shows me so much musical maturity from you. Is like, the guitar can function as this thing, or this thing, or this thing. And then it's like, oh yeah, all songs need some element of this, some element of this, some element of this. Guitar is just one of those options in many different potential roles. Yeah, and I think that we both like gravitate in our different ways to like partially like the percussive nature of the guitar. Like, you know, the part of the guitar that like hopefully makes you want to dance a little bit mm-hmm. when, when you play, you know, the way like Oscar Peterson played piano or like different people play the saxophone where it has like some percussive element to it you know different at different levels to it but that's like a fun thing about guitar but i love listening to people that play it with like these beautiful long tone like if you listen to ted green play or something Mm. and it's like these beautiful long tones and it's like melody and harmony and it's less percussive but i still love it but can i do that no not at all so like um the future of guitar might be moving in that direction or it might be moving in a percussive direction or whatever that's what's beautiful, man. I think it's moving in all those directions. Yep. That's great. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. You grew up in New York City? 
I grew. I was born in New York City and lived in the city till I was, you know, I went to, to middle school in um, a town just about an hour north of here called Katona, which is incidentally where Skull is from. Really? Mm-hmm. Nice. Did you ever spend time with him there? I didn't spend too much time with him. You know, I went to high school with his daughter, Jeannie, who's awesome. And, you know, I definitely knew him. We know each other for a very long time now. Yeah. Um, and I know his family, but like, we haven't, we haven't even ever, oh no, we have played. Uh, I think we've only played once or twice. He's the best. Um, we just haven't hung that much, you know, it's on the road all the time. Yeah. And now that I'm older, I'm on the road a lot too. So, and I don't live in Katana anymore. When did you move back to New York City? Uh, I, I went to Berkeley. Um, as a student, and then I moved back to New York City about 15 years ago. Interesting. Yeah, been here for a minute. Because the thing that's New York, obviously, it's such a it's a fairy tale place to a lot of people that have not spent a lot of time there. Hey, it can actually mm-hmm. to people who've lived there, depending on the day or uh, the mood of the people that you're around. <laughs> but what's interesting about New York City, it, it is such a hotbed for art and excellence in art. Like if you want to find the absolute best version of 1940s jazz that's being played today, you can find it in New York. If you want to find the best version of, I don't know, Cuban music that's being played today, you can find it in New York. If you want to find some of the best pop music you've ever heard in your life, you can find it in New York. There's so many different things and that, and I'm just making musical examples. You know, there's visual art, there's so many aspects. There's food. You know, th- the best version of Italian food in the U.S. can probably be found in New York City and Japanese food as well. Whatever, all these different things. New York just has such a high level of excellence, and there's so much incredible art and incredible high-performing things that you can absorb at any day, <laughs> as opposed to. Like me growing up in Minneapolis, like there's some good stuff. And like, oh yeah, there's really great versions of this. There's maybe potentially one of the world's best of this one thing. But it's not like a 10 out of 10 for every realm of everything, which you can expect in New York. How it, how do you think that has affected your experience as a musician or even as just a person? Man, you know, being from here, it's it's like... It's funny, I always, you know, when I go to LA or when I go to Nashville, I kind of have like brief little fantasies of, you know, I shouldn't move here. It's, it'd be so great. I learned so much about uh, how to approach music in a different way because I've been in New York so long, uh, but it's like quicksand, you know, like I can't leave. Like my family's here. I love it so much. You know, I'm, I'm so rooted here. But I think, you know, one of the great musical things about New York is like, um, this came up this summer. I was in Italy. I was teaching, and there was some really there was a really great young uh, player. Um, I'm spacing. Out. Oh, Josh Meter. Oh yeah. Who, you know, people might know from Instagram. Yep. He's got quite a fun, great player. And I was asking what he was going to do after you know the workshop. He's based in Australia, and he's like, oh, I'm kind of figuring out where I want to live or where I want to go. And as we were speaking, a student um, that I knew from the new school was up on stage about to start playing and then they played their show and we started listening to him and I was just, you know, I was like, you know what, Josh, like the, the thing you hear right away is like this guy who's playing right now really knows how to play with people, with a band. And I feel like people that live in New York, that's one of the things we do here. Mm-hmm. You know, we, the studio scenes, maybe not what it is in LA or Nashville, or there's certain things that we don't have quite as much of 
But what New York has is like this amazing live music scene where you can play a different gig every night, every single night of the year. And what you learn from doing that is how to play with people. Yeah. How to play a, how to play in a room, how to, you know, play in a different venue every night with different people playing different music, whether it's all in the same genre or it's cross genre or not. It's like you learn how to do those kind of 1% differences, those, okay, let me be 4% louder tonight or 3% softer or whatever. I just feel like, you know, when I moved to New York, it's when I understood how to how to play with people because I was doing it nonstop and I still am. I love that. That is a great answer. And I love that perspective where I wouldn't have necessarily gone to that as the first thing that I would think would be one of the big advantages, but you're totally right, man. There's all, I mean, all the different aspects, the playing with, learning how to play with other people, but you're right, learning how to play in different rooms, how having to communicate something, whether it be in a small room with a small amp or a big room with a big amp, it requires something different of you. Sure. That's cool, man. Yeah, it's like, there's like, 150,000 raised pizzas over here in town. There's just like <laughs> the same amount of gigs, you know, there's just so much and it's not all, you know, New York's got everything good and bad, yeah, but yeah, it does yeah, of you know, have, have some of the best of the best musicians for playing live. So getting to play with some of these people who are so, you know, it could just be like, Hey, I got this Monday night gig at a bar. Can you make it? And you're like, yeah, I feel like playing. I'll do it. And you come in and it's like Sean Pelton on drums and, you know, Will Lee on bass. It's just like, what? This is insane. Like the caliber of musician and everyone just loves to play. Yeah. You know, that's why we're here. We're here because we love playing together and making music. And, uh, these people are so seasoned. It's just unreal. Yeah. So, um, that's one of the things I love about here. That would be hard to leave. It would be hard to play live less. Yeah, totally. All right, my last question. It's one that I've been asking this this season of the podcast because it's fun. It helps me get to know you as a player a little bit better. This You may actually only have, I don't remember what your pedal board was. We're pedal freaks nowadays. I'm sure you got thousands of them. Ah. If you had to build a pedal board, you get four pedals for the next 365 days. You get four pedals on your pedal board. That's it. What are you bringing with you? Okay, we're going to do process of elimination. Tuner, we don't need it. We don't need it. We tune by ear, old school. Yep. Tube Screamer, we need it. Yep. Got to have a Tube Screamer. I love the Tube Screamer. I remember one time on the road in Spain, my power supply died. All of a sudden, no pedals for the gig. Not one. Classic. But I managed to scrape up a battery, and and I chose the Tube Screamer. I put the battery in the Tube Screamer. It's one of the greatest gigs. You were literally put to the test. You were forced. Here's one battery. You get to pick one pedal in your arsenal, and you chose the Tube Screamer. I love that. This is literally seconds before the show. Sound check, everything's fine. Show, nothing's working. Was it a 220 to 110 issue? Was it a step down? No, it was no. This thing just died. It just fully okay. died. And I think there was two. There were two gigs left, and so this gig, just the tube screamer, it was magical. I'll remember it forever. Next gig, not so great. <laughs> <laughs> I lost that, like you know, that oh my god, yeah, you know, see the pants energy. Um, but just the, just the two and the reverb on the amp didn't work. It was just tube screamer. Um, it was great. So tube screamer, yeah, the Klon KTR is great, but. Um, Maybe I'll let it. I'll let it go for this sake of, of this exercise. The next two pedals I have on my board, I'm looking at it right now, uh, are one that I just got uh, that I really really love, and it's the Ten Years pedal. Are you up to these? Ten Years. It's it's just called Ten Years, and it's based on a PV Decade, 
Uh, so basically that little solid state PV amp that Josh Holmby from Queens of the Stone Age uses to record with. Um, somebody in LA, I believe, is making these in a pedal form. And it's super gnarly and super great. Sick. What does it do? What does it sound like? It's, I can play it for you now. I want to hear it. Yes. That's pretty sick. That's not going to clip in the recording, so we might not be able to use that. <laughs> hey. But that's it. Even just over the, even over the audio here on the internet, man, I could tell that thing sounds dope. Let me, uh, let me see if I can turn it down so it won't clip. It's just, it's just a loud pedal. That thing sounds just sick. A quick, uh, you get the vibe. I get it's it. really cool. It's really cool. So it's more of a distortion. It's not an overdrive. It's distortion. It's a distortion. Yeah, yeah it's a distortion. It does a, a couple things. You can set it to saturation or normal. Normal's a little lighter. Yeah. But like, yeah, really fun pedal. Um, I have, you know, the next one in the chain is Jesse Davies' Octoland pedal. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesse Davies um, from King Tone. Yep. He makes the best stuff. Like, it, everything he makes, he's got that magic touch because he's a player. He's such a great guitar player. Um, makes a difference. But it's an octopus, so if I have to pick four, I'm not going to take it as my four, just as much as I love it so much. It's such a great pedal. Um, the next one's a Maris Auto Bit, which is like a weird pedal. I think like you need to have a weird pedal. Yeah, you should probably have one weird pedal. You don't know what it's going to do. Uh, I love this one. I love the Montreal Assembly Count to Five pedal. Those are great. So maybe I'll take that as my third. Maybe. Oh, well, let's see. Let's go down the chain. <laughs> Next is the Line 6 DL4, the new one. Classic. Then a Strymon Big Sky. Ooh. Then a Boss TD3. Then a Neunember Wet Reverb. So I think i got to have some reverb. I would probably take a Neunember. Over the Big Sky? Yeah, the Big Sky, I, I use it more for like effecty kind of things. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I find the the Neunember is like the, the least intrusive reverb. It just kind of like chills in the background. It doesn't get in the way of anything. And the Strymon is just so lush and beautiful, but sometimes it can be, you know, yeah. If you're playing if you're playing a lot, if you're playing jazz, you're playing a lot of notes, right? So like and notes that don't necessarily like if, if they're still hanging in the air from the reverb before, yeah, they can be a little flashy. So this one seems to duck out and get out of the way cool. or, or kind of just blanket everything in a nice way. Yeah. So I might have to take that and and the DL4. So we're we're at Tube Screamer, Ten Years, DL4, Neunember. Maybe I'll swap the Neunember with the Auto Bit. I'm sorry, the the DL4 with the Auto Bit for the weird pedal. I like that. You know, if you had one weird pedal for an entire year, though, at some point I feel like maybe seven months down the line you'd be like, dude, I can't stand this tone anymore. It's like the what? Like I I want to do something different. I don't know. Just hit the weird pedal. <laughs> I see. I always need. I need four or five weird effects because it's like ah, it's too strong of a flavor to always have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, totally. It's like going out to the same funky restaurant every night. Yeah, you're like this is cool, but it's not funky anymore. It's too funky. I'll say this though. I like to eat green curry every night on tour. Every night. I yeah. My band just they sometimes. 
I've I've had to I've had to change things up because my band is a little sick of like me just being like, hey, Thai food tonight. You know, like really? <sighs> yeah, whatever. What I'm saying is maybe I actually could get by with the weird one. I just haven't tried it yet. I like those choices though. And I like the fact that you ran down your whole paddleboard. This is now officially yeah. we started by saying we don't normally talk about gear. This is the most I've talked about gear with anybody on a single podcast, and I'm down. I feel like I've just talked way too much, period. <laughs> but I'm not a gearhead either. Like, I'm really not. <laughs> I'm not a gearhead either. Not. Meanwhile, you're saying I'm all not. these pedals that like half the people have never heard of and just <laughs> talking about all the boutique builders. Well, we're going deep into all the... You have specific mics you like. I say the same thing. I'm listening to you say, I'm not a gearhead. I'm like, really? Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we've been able to, we could probably go on for two more hours about overdrives alone. I just feel like you search for the thing until you find the thing you like, and then you you shut up and stop searching. But like, you know, you're looking for that perfect sound that you hear in your head and you find the thing. You're like, okay, I don't need to look for distortions. I found them. I'm good. I like that a lot. I've been I've been in that mindset lately, but I think you and I both know as as professional seasoned guitar players that the curiosity gets the best of us. And it's just like, well, but what if this one's better? <laughs> it's, so it's that hundred dollar cape off. Dude. It's like, you know, you're always searching for the thing. But yeah, it's not always a guitar or an amp or a, a pedal. Like all the other stuff is cool too. Yeah. I do need you to text me the name of that capo when you find it. I'm going to look it up. And when you get it, if you don't like it, I will pay for it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Like, but if you're giving that rave a review, even if it makes a 1% difference, if it's that much better than my regular capo, I'm down, dude. I'm going to leave it. I'm, I'm keeping it. It's more, it's more, it's going to be more than a 1%, but it's for acoustic guitars. I don't know if you would get the same tra traction out of it, out of electric. Totally. But if you're down, Let's do it. And if it, if you're like, dude, what are you talking about? I'm paying for it. Okay, I, I got to close. I this this last thing will close the loop on us here. What about cables? Do you have specific cables that you use? Do you notice the difference in cables? As long as they're good, I don't notice the difference between good cable brands. Although there are some like high end cables that I actually don't like what they do. But usually for cables, I have them made for me. Um, by who's who you know who who made these that I'm using now? Uh, Mike Vegas, um, who used to be based in New York City, now he's based in Toronto. Nice Rack New York City uh, was the company at the time. Now it's probably called Nice Rack Canada. He made all my like guitar to pedal board cables, and they're great. You know, I just they always they never die. They always sound good to me. And then the little cables are by whoever is you know working on my board at the time. Yeah, I'm about to have it redone. So it'll be all new cables on the board. I'll tell you if I notice the difference. But they're always good. You know, I think the only time when it like really makes a difference is like if you put some cheap cables in and they suck. Um, otherwise, I'm not hip enough to to know like Megami versus um, whatever. I just trust the people that I work with to make it good. I heard a lot of things there. The, the main thing that I heard was you have custom cables built. <laughs> And if that doesn't say you're, if that doesn't give a little bit of a kind of a gearhead, 
And 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 I I have to tell my I I can't lie to myself about it either. It's like yeah, I like the I like the way these cables sound. And, and I think, I feel like as soon as we're in that realm, you kind of <laughs> we're we're both lying to ourselves by saying we're not gear guys here. Let's let's. <laughs> but I I love that you that you care and you notice like hey, I care enough where I just want it to be good and I want it to be reliable. But you know what? I don't need to do the cable shootout. Exactly. Yeah. And like, you know, if you work with good people, they're going to, they're going to, you know, that, that might be their lane more than it is my lane. Like, you know, I want to find an amp dude that I can trust that will like help me amp dude or, or lady that is like awesome and has great ears and like knows about all those tubes. So maybe they'll source the tube and put it in. And when I find that person, I'm going to bring all my amps to them right away, you know? Um, but in New York City, that's a difficult thing, right? Like, you know, how do you get an amp from point A to point B in New York City? <laughs> that's why, like, we tend to use smaller amps than yeah. cats in LA, right? Yeah, yeah. My, I, I have my cable cat is Mason at Vertex, the rig doctor. Oh, Mason's awesome. Yeah, he he got me he got me correct on my cables. He he actually showed me. Well, he did the cable shootout, and then he sent me some recordings. Like, look, what do you think sounds better on a strap? Blind taste test. It's like, dang it, man. These do make a difference, don't they? And then they don't. They make a difference until they don't. You know? Right. Like, okay, these make a difference. And then once you're kind of in this realm, whatever. But it is nice, like you're saying, it's nice to have some of those people out there that do care and that will put the time into the shootout for you. Yeah, and I think maybe like, you know, just to wrap it up, like going back to the, the teaching thing in Berkeley and stuff like you know, a lot of the time I'm just working with a student on like how to play a short note mm. because they have only like one short and it's not all that short, you know? So it's like, oh, let's figure out how to play like 10 different shorts and like down to very, very short. So like at the end, it, it has to do with your hands because this stuff is just picking up what you're playing on your guitar. And if you're not like able to make the guitar speak and maybe speak in, in a few different tones that kind of you know, help tell a story, all the gear in the world isn't going to do much but amplify a flat line. Love that. That's what I'm talking about. See, we are gear guys, but more than gear guys, we're music guys. We care more about the music, but we care so much about the music that we want to make sure that the things that we're playing through allow us to get there in the most effortless way. Amen. That's how I that's how I excuse myself from all the gearheadedness. Cause at the end of the day, I do care more about the music than the gear. hundred percent. Hell yeah. It's it's a noble quest. Yeah. We're just like out here on a mission to try and figure out how to make some art. I love that. Well, Nir, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been great. From one strat player to the nu- to the next. <laughs> man, I couldn't couldn't be more stoked to be on the same boat as you. The Stratocaster ship. Dude, you are so kind to have me. Thank you for having me. And uh, what a pleasure it's been. Yeah, man. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Peace. There you have it. Near Felder. This dude's dope. This dude is dope. I'm super stoked to have him on the podcast. Hey, like I said, I'm I'm chilling writing today. I'm I'm writing. I'm in the studio. I'm back. I'm on a little tour break. I'm chilling. I hope you're all having a wonderful holiday season because it is the holiday season right now. If you're listening to this in the future, I'm recording this in mid-December 2022. Feeling good today. 
It's a good season for me in my life. I'm feeling refreshed, creatively charged, feeling good. And I hope you are too. I really mean that. I hope you're, as a guitar player, if you're a guitar player, get out there and listen to some music that inspires you and go create music that helps you flourish and feel good about yourself. That's all I got to say. I'm not, I'm not preaching today. I'm, I got to get back to writing. I'm trying to write this melody. You know that, that there's a song by Nate Smith called Bounce, one and two, and Soul Live, Tuesday Night Squad. That's our inspiration today for writing a melody. So I'm going to hit that literally right now. So thanks for joining us. Peace. Peace.